Hello everyone, after a few tumultuous starts on my end behind the scenes that y'all won't see, I mean, not very exciting. Welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Um, I tried my best with the framing to everyone who's watching on YouTube, producer boyfriend Jason is on a much needed vacation. Um, we're also just playing around with the setup in general, um, especially when it's set up by me, who's not normally a podcast producer, trying my best. I realized the first round of trying to record this that I had the camera upside down and probably not in the best frame. So hopefully this is better. I am wearing the cult famous, some might argue the Hill House nap dress. Now what the hell is this? You're thinking it kind of looks like a nightgown perhaps. And to some it may. Um, this is a dress that I discovered from a BuzzFeed article called the cult of the nap dress. I've kind of seen these on a few people I follow on Instagram and they're sort of like, they're known as the nap dress because they can take you from napping to brunch and they are very voluminous and they have a lot of fabric. They're definitely super comfortable. I'm not wearing a bra, which you know, we all love. I feel like it is definitely casual enough that it could be worn to a variety of events as well as dressed up. It does have a nice silhouette. I'm 5'7". This is a size small and there's still quite a bit of fabric in the skirt um, that I think I can kind of get away with because I'm taller. But if you are smaller and or more petite, you may want to look into a few of their other sizes or styles. This is the LE in a size small. For reference, I am normally even like a medium large um, just because of the boobs and the butt and everything. But again, because there's so much fabric and because this is stretchy, well, I do wish it's just the tiniest bit bigger on my boobs in the small. I did originally get the medium and that was just too much fabric and I've done a lot of research and seen some reports that these stretch so I think I'm fine with the small because that's what you care about right my hill house nap dress <laughs> sizing but let me know if you're part of the cult of the hill house nap dress if you subscribe if you have any nap dresses I've now like joined a few Facebook groups and become like kind of a monster I only have only one of what I have this one and an emerald one um so I already have two they're not the cheapest at about 100 125 dollars so you know think about how many books you could get with that or get your books from the library because they're free um so in the I like to watch corner before we get into our five books of the week also I hope y'all don't notice that I kind of have wet hair a lot of the times when I record on this one because I don't blow dry too because when I don't three <laughs> numbers one, I don't blow dry my hair ever really unless I'm like at the hair salon and straightening my hair you know blowing it out Two, it's just, I don't care. And three, you know, I wanted to shower and look nice for you guys and put on makeup. So, you know, wet hair is a sign of cleanliness, I should say, and you should be honored. <laughs> what have I been watching? Um, I watched You season three. Um, you is the sort of infamous now Netflix series with Penn Badgley, um, probably most famously known as Dan Humphreys on Gossip Girl. Um, I'm probably one of the rare breeds who not only watched the TV show You when it was in its freshman year season on Lifetime because I was super drawn to it because I loved the books by Carolyn Kepnes, who's a wonderful mystery author. So the original book was called You and it was about Joe and his whole, you know, obsessions. And I don't want to give away too many spoilers if you haven't seen the series, but if you're into dark, soapy, twisty, and I say dark because there is violence and murder and like a lot of, you know, cavalier, aspect of looking at it but it's all done with a dark combi like tongue-in-cheek like Desperate Housewives type vibe and I loved Hidden Bodies which was the sequel to you and I read the sequel before they even came out with you so season three I can't remember no there is a volume three of the you series and maybe it follows the story but this is a rare case where I actually I do have it on my kindle but because I have literally like library books flowing in like every day it's like your hole is now available which on the one hand, it's fantastic. I love the library books. I love new books, keep them coming. It gives me more to read. But on the other hand, 
I kind of wish it would just slow down like a little bit just so I could catch up. I mean, I think I have like 15 checked out right now, which is maybe not so many, but it's like the second that I finish one, two more are available. And I'm like, can we just like stop? Like maybe have me like seven would be great until we, whatever, this is such first world problems. So if you haven't watched the first two seasons of You, you probably should before you watch season three. It's dark, it's soapy, it's salacious, it's fun. Um, so I finished all of that in two days. And then I figured it was time to dive into the Squid Game Madness because everyone's been tatting about it. I think part of what held me back was the subtitles, not because I don't appreciate subtitled work, but because it does force me to actually pay attention to the screen that is in front of me as opposed to the phone that or Kindle, whatever that I put in front of me. Um, and I think, you know, I would say if you start it, episodes one through three are definitely very good. And then once we get to episode four, we get to like great territory. And by the time you're in episode six, I'm like, whew, I'm binging it. Originally, I thought to, um, you know, spare spare myself the, the binge and spread it out over three days. Um, but nope, after I got to episode four, I watched episode four through nine and finished it all last night because it was fantastic. It's definitely dark. It's definitely bloody and gory in a hyper-realistic comedic way um you probably know the big twist that you know it's a game where you're competing for a ton of money the only caveat is if you lose you lose your life and i won't say more than that but the ensemble cast especially our main characters are so fantastic so well acted so well developed even though you know you kind of know how the story may turn out there's so many twists and turns and again it's not it's not the journey it's not the destination it's the journey and how they get there and the sacrifices they have to make along the way um, so while being like brutal and gory and tortured and like saw, like it also has a ton of heart. And <laughs> I want to say it's sort of like the Hunger Games in that aspect because we do have the whole like Katniss and Peta and whatever. I mean, it's it's a faulted thing. But so I really, if the if the subtitles are um, deterring you, don't let it bother you because I think it's so fast paced and well acted and well constructed. I have I do think there is an English subtitle. Um, excuse me, an English dubbing option. However, I've seen some articles and threads floating on the Ethernet that the dubbing translations are not as accurate as the English subtitles, which more accurately reflect the direct Korean translations. And I think a few minor but important things can get lost in translation. So if you've seen Squid Game, let me know your thoughts. I don't want to spoil anything else. I will say the ending definitely like, I wasn't even ready for it. I wasn't sure what to expect. I what it's thought I knew where it was going. It went somewhere else and it just like, but it made sense. And so I'm a fan of Squid Game and I fully buy the hype. It's worth it. So we're not here to talk about what I like to watch though, or maybe we are because I just talked about it for a bit, but we're also here. Oh, one more thing. Um, it may be up at the time of the release of this. If not, it's coming very soon. I am going to be joined by the authors of a fantastic oral history book that I read just a few months ago called Nothing But A Good Time, The Uncensored History of Rock and Roll in the 80s, something like that. I'll get the actual title right for the <laughs> for the conversation, but I am going to be joined by both authors. So I'm super stoked to, to delve into all things 80s hair battle and the history of rock and roll and the Sunset Strip in the 1980s, Sunset Strip and beyond. Um, so even if you haven't read the book, if you're a music junkie, if you're into anything metal, 80s, fun, cool, oral history, history of the music scene, um, then check out that interview. If, again, if it's not up already, it will be very soon. Um, the first book we are talking about tonight, without further ado, tonight, today, but the book title is called Take Me Home Tonight by Morgan Matson. And while this is a lighter young adult novel, it, you know, it takes the, the sort of fantastical notion of what if you went into New York City for one night as a 16 year old who's only ever been there with their parents and you're there just uh, to, in a sort of 
kind of crazy circumstances to begin with. <laughs> I'll, I'll backtrack. Our best, um, our main characters, Kat and Stevie, they are best friends. They are involved in the theater program in their upstate New York school. And I think it's upstate New York. That doesn't matter. Bottom line is they get into the city because it's Stevie's birthday and Kat wants to go because she's convinced that it, seeing her theater teacher's play will force him to realize how great she is of an actor and give her the part she wants in King Lear. Naturally, things do not go well. Um, it then turns into a comedy of errors of what starts as just, you know, we're taking the train, we're going into the city, we're going to see this play, we're going to go out to dinner for your birthday, and we're going to go home. And oh yeah, our parents don't know. But multiple hijinks ensue. There's so many things that go wrong that again, it's the sort of crazy circumstances that can only happen in a young adult novel, not only because like navigating New York City as a 16 year old by yourself with a cell phone is hard enough, spoiler alert, cell phones get lost, wallets get lost, but friendships and relationships and love is found along the way. There's also a really, really fun like adventures in babysitting interludes that happen with their third friend who is home alone taking what she thought was just a simple babysitting job from Kat and maybe you'll understand the implication from adventures and babysitting, but lo and behold, they go on adventure of their own. So while it's fantastical and ridiculous and all cinematic, it does just sort of make sense because once you immerse yourself in the fantasy of like, it is really scary and anxiety provoking to be in a new city by yourself. And I remember being 16 and, you know, getting my license around 16 and a half, 17 and going to places by myself. And it took me a very long time to like feel comfortable with being by myself. And so being alone in an overwhelming city, such as New York City, like I still probably would not feel very comfortable navigating that at 27, let alone 16. So that fear and anxiety and sort of looming danger combined with the comedy of these fantastical circumstances and the sort of crazy hijinks that they get into just really blends nicely together. So even though this is young adult, I think any age could definitely enjoy it. Um, our next book is a little more serious, and it's called Minor Feelings, an Asian American Reckoning by Kathy Park Hong. So Kathy Park Hong is a poet and an essayist, and she combines both of those elements of her writing background into a really beautiful collection. Uh, I mean, I would call it a collection of essays interspersed with poems and poetry. Um, she delves, it's part memoir, it's part historical exploration into, as you know, the title states, what it means to be an Asian American, reckoning with that title, reckoning with the history of the Asian people, um, what it's like to be having that background as well as trying to wrestle with your Americanness. Um, she is the daughter of Korean immigrants, uh, so she explores a lot about her background with that. There's some particularly touching anecdotes about her relationship with her grandparents. Um, she's also, her own racial identity is very misconstrued and provides like a very big source of confusion and misidentification for a lot of her life. Um, and then she uses that as a way to look into, you know, race in America in a larger scope, you know, looking at the coronavirus and the hate and hate and awful attacks against Asians. But, you know, that has been going on for centuries, if not decades, no, centuries, if not decades, centuries, if not, you know, thousands of years. And there's so much, um, colonialism steeped into things that are still happening today. Like, you know, she talks about the Korean plastic surgery and this like affinity for wanting to have a beautiful white face and having specific eyes. Um, so there's a really good mix of her own personal uh, story and her own personal anecdotes that blend with a more historical look. And I definitely learned a lot. Um, so I think if you're interested in a read that will challenge you and challenge some of your perceptions while allowing yourself into the vulnerability of a young, a very promising young woman's life. Um, I say young woman, I believe she's in her mid early thirties. Um, and this was definitely, um, 
while not a lighter read, it is a shorter read at just about 200 pages. So these essays, while connected to you, can definitely stand apart by themselves. So it's something that, you know, you can pick up, take me home tonight and read a more light young adult novel and intersperse it with some more heavier, thought-provoking in a different way um, type of essays. And speaking of thought-provoking, our third book is called We Are Not Like Them. It is co-written by Christine Pride and Joe Piazza. So since it's co-written, it is told from alternating perspectives of two best friends. One is Black, one is White. Jen and Riley, they have been best friends since kindergarten. They have pursued different paths in life. Jen um, sort of went the traditional stay-at-home mom, got married young to a, at least in Riley's eyes, milk toast husband. She has her first baby on the way. Riley has climbed the ranks to be what she, to, she's on the verge of what she hopes is a very promising news anchor promotion position. However, um, it starts off with a police shooting. And what I found really unique about this book, I mean, I think that any novel that tackles the idea of race and the police force is definitely not easy. And I think to bring a sort of nuance and different look into it is also not easy. I think both of these authors knew that going in and grappled with it and had, knowing that they have different backgrounds and different foundations felt comfortable exploring this. It definitely deals with some heavier topics. I can't imagine being put in this circumstance. Um, Jen's husband, Kevin, is involved in the police shooting, which is not only terrible for everyone, who's one of the officers on the scene, but also Riley is the news agent assigned to cover the story from the young man's point of view. The young boy, I'm sorry, the young boy who was shot. So as you can imagine, this tests their friendship in ways that were sort of already, there were little holes in the scene or, you know, little seams coming apart, but this incident really rips it open. And as you can imagine, it not only rocks the police force, it rocks their town, but it really rocks, you know, what it, their entire friendship, it explores, you know, it doesn't hold back. It explores very complex, raw things. While I don't think this is a true story, I can imagine situations like this happening and it felt very realistic, these women, I felt for them. I wanted to play devil's advocate and see both sides of the coin because while I don't think, you know, I do think nobody deserves to be shot. I do think this was a incident where the police officer was clearly in the wrong. I do think, um, you know, it can be hard to make that decision and it can be hard to admit guilt. And while there's no easy answer, I do think that this novel at least tries to unspool a few of the threads of some of those questions. Our next novel is Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty. You may recognize Leanne Moriarty as the author of such famed novels as Big Little Lies, Nine Perfect Strangers, insert some other books that I've read and can't remember, but I just, those come to mind because those have also been developed into David E. Kelly shows, Big Little Lies is far superior to Nine Perfect Strangers, you heard it here first. I really liked Apples Never Fall because first of all, I didn't even go into it reading it as like, okay, this is going to become a TV show. It's going to become a David E. Kelly show. It's just a new Leanne Moriarty novel. I'm sure people are already optioning her for a miniseries, or I think this one might work better as a film, but that's just my opinion. I'm sure they could turn it into some sort of six to nine part hour each part monstrosity. This deals with the question of what happens if your mother goes missing and nobody knows where she is, but it, no one's also like really sure if a crime happened or if she left voluntarily. Um, your father's acting very suspicious. So we deal with the Delaney family and their mother, what's her name? Joy yep, goes missing. And it turns out that her disappearance may be related to the appearance of a young woman named Savannah into their lot who sort of just like shows up at Joy and her husband, Stan, I think his name is. Um, the, 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 Stan, yeah, Stan, <laughs> I got that one right. Uh, she shows up at their door, uh, sort of unannounced, and her presence 
is not as ominous as you might think, but definitely shakes through the family. The Delaney family have four biological children who are each sort of flawed, but forgiving in their own ways. Um, so while it has this sort of ominous threat of like what did happen to Joy, a lot of threads point to her, you know, having met foul play rather than sort of just having gone off on a holiday or something. Um, there's a lot of different motives and potentials as to what might have happened, but Leanne uses that as a vessel to explore the dynamics of this very fractured family that are world-renowned tennis stars or, you know, were world-renowned tennis stars. The parents actually had a famous tennis academy. And so I found this book, um, much like I think a lot of her other books, while it uses the mystery as the vessel and the plot to move you forward, it's really about the relationships and the complex humanity um, the, com the complexities that humanity faces, especially when thrown into these adverse situations and how our true colors shine through and relationships can be made or broken. So if any of that interests you, definitely check out Apples Never Fall. Excuse me. And last, but certainly, certainly not least, we have Fight Night by Miriam Toes. This one was weird in all the best ways. It is told from the point of view of a young girl She's probably only like 10 or 11. Her name is Swiv. And she, no, she's nine, sorry, younger than I thought. She lives in Toronto in a lower middle, in a, nah, not even lower middle class, like a pretty lower class neighborhood with her grandmother and her mother who is very pregnant and about to have her child. So at first it seems like it's sort of just a stream of consciousness. Like Swiv is definitely objectively not living the best life circumstantially, but subjectively to her, she's, she can find the, the rainbow and the sunshine or whatever, you know whatever that expression is, anything. Um, so she just sort of records her life and how she lives and the relationships that she has with her grandmother, who's like a super weird, wacky character and the totally, on the one hand, adult way she has of looking at the world because of her circumstances and upbringing, but also the fact that she is a nine-year-old child. Um, her voice is very fun. And I think, you know, for it must've been fun for the author to put herself in the perspective of a young girl, someone who's so mature, but also like in, some ways impossibly immature because she's nine years old and the second half of the novel deals with a fun trip to fresno and that's all i'm gonna say about that i will just say fight night it was fun heartwarming very like little miss sunshine vibes but just more about a grandmother and a granddaughter with intersperses of the mother so that's it as always let me know what you've been reading follow me on goodreads instagram leave me five star review on apple Podcasts and spotify and until next time stay reading bye